Hello, it's David Cohen. And it's Neil Salas Griffin. What's up, David? Hang on, Neil. What are you doing on my podcast? I uh, thought it would be cool to bring together two parallel universes. So my podcast meets your podcast. We're just mixing it up. So usually I do give first a podcast with Brad Feld, my co-host, which is explaining how simply helping others uh, be successful without any expectation of getting something specific back is so powerful. And we thought we'd cross it over with your podcast, Neil. Yeah, my podcast is called Talking Through It, and uh, it's a perfect match for a cross-collaboration with Give First because what we're essentially doing is bringing on interesting and intelligent people who I look up to, admire, or want to learn from, and uh, we talk about the issues of the day. So whatever's happening this week or in recent times that are related to startups, technology, or beyond, we just get through it and figure it out as we go. Let's cross it over. Let's do it. Today, my guest on the Crossover Give First podcast is Neil Sellis Griffin. Amazing to be with you. If you don't know Neil, I describe him as a man of many talents, a teacher, an entrepreneur, a former mayoral candidate, a philanthropist, and a managing director at Techstars in Chicago. A few things going on there. Yeah. Thanks for getting me in on it. So I want to talk to you first about the demo day that you just had. I uh, have been explaining to people that you totally set the bar uh, City So Real, the intro song, and the companies, of course, and also your opening, the personal nature of it, the appeal to the humanity uh, of what was going on during that time and during that program. What inspired you for that demo day? Thank you for saying that, David. And I'll I'll just say this. All I had to do was really let the founders speak for themselves. And we had an opportunity every week to get together and have fun, even though we were virtual during Techstar Chicago. And every single company had a way to demonstrate their talents beyond just running a successful company. So what ended up happening is one of our founders ended up coming up with a rap song. We had other founders that did other things. One taught us how to bake pies. Another one helped us with roadside emergency stuff, all relevant to what they're passionate about with their businesses. But William from Documenter, the CEO of the company, decided to just put together this rap song called City So Real. And that kicked off our demo day in a way like none other. And I was shocked at the response. Like people loved it, including you. And uh, it's a banger. Like people like like will just bump it like on their headphones, like wherever they're going or in the gym. It's a, it's a song that speaks to the st- like the startup community, but at the same time, it's just like fun to listen to and rock with. That was fun. And uh, the overall showcase of being virtual, we found a way to make it fun and accessible to everybody. So you can check it out on YouTube. Just like search for Techstar Chicago Demo Day, and we should be the first link. We'll put it in the show notes too, but I, I will admit uh, to breaking it out a couple times just to listen and just to listen to the opening. It's that good. It really is. Yeah. So I'll keep setting the bar as high as I can every single time. And then uh, look, you had an awesome group of companies too. And I know they'll go on to do amazing things. Look, I always say just being involved with entrepreneurship at the early stage, that in itself is like a give first activity, right? It's you're in the middle of making introductions of lots of people and it's it's all very give first in nature. So what, what do you love about that job of managing director? What I love the most is how humbling it is. Because every single day, there's always a new problem that you haven't faced that one of your founders has. And you get reminded that even though you're an investor, even though you're the person they're supposed to go to for advice and support, you don't know everything. So I'm learning something new every day. 
I'm finding experts and other people within our network or creating, you know, new opportunities and relationships to bring into our network to add value to our founders. So the fact that every single day, like you could tattoo hashtag give first on me and it would just be a real legitimate thing is tried and true at this point. And I've only been through two programs. I got my next one coming up in July. I feel like I'm living and breathing the very notion of give first as I do my job at Techstars. I think this tattoo thing has got legs. I think we should get it going. I think there's probably a few Techstars tattoos. Is that right? There are. And we also have a portfolio company called Ephemeral that makes one-year tattoos. So you don't okay. even have to commit for life. So I've got one commitment for life for one of my companies. So there's definitely a Code Academy tattoo out there on someone's calf. And uh, that's a fun story that I can tell later. But yeah, it's real. I don't know how we started talking about tattoos, but I'm glad it came up. That was uh, my idea, actually. <laughs> you mentioned tattoo, and I just remember you talked about Code Academy. Let's go there. I'm going to give you a chance to tell that story. What is Code Academy? So Code Academy is one of the very first what we now know as coding boot camps. And for those of our listeners who don't know what a coding boot camp or coding school is, it's a place where people uh, can enroll. It's a private school, typically, that has a short duration, anywhere from two to six months, typically, costing in the low thousands range to get a spun up within software development or design in some technical and meaningful fashion when it comes to either getting a job, building a product, or starting a company afterwards. So... Back in 2011, when I came out of my own dark cave of teaching myself computer science and software engineering after college, not studying it in college, I decided that not only did I want to build my own applications at that point, but the experience that I'd went through as a self-taught developer, I wanted to make accessible to a handful of other people. It turns out a handful of other people, which in my financial model at the time was 12, ended up being thousands. So we ended up teaching thousands of people over a five-year span how to get started in software development, who got jobs, started companies, and built really awesome side projects and products. So that was my life, and we changed a lot of people's lives. A lot of successful companies came out of it. A lot of interesting outcomes came from a lot of the people who went through our different classes. Some went into Techstar, some went into Y Combinator, some went into other schools and programs. But yeah, I, I was changing lives every day. And I still get to do that now as an investor. But back then as an educator, it was quite phenomenal because it was a model that hadn't been tested and we were able to prove it. And it turned out to be one of the low-key disruptive innovations within the ed tech space. So what was behind the original 12? Are, are, you, are you just joking or was it really you didn't have any clue that it would be that big? No clue. So my plan, actually, I had people come over to my house and I was like, can I teach them the basics of Ruby? So I had them do that. And that was my like testing. And then I built a model. I said, how much do I need to break even if I'm going to have a classroom with a space with the I'm going to pay for some additional support instruction computers. And that model said I needed to charge $6,000 and recruit 12 students. So that was the bet I made. But once we launched, we got a little more recognition than I anticipated, made it to Hacker News and on Twitter. And this is 2011. So all these platforms are starting to emerge. And we got almost 100 people who applied for those 12 spots. So when you have 100 people apply for 12 spots that cost $6,000, then you're like, how do I take 36? <laughs> Which is exactly what I did. So rather than raising a quarter million dollars in a seed round, I ended up basically funding ourselves and being profitable within the first month by making over 200K. It's amazing. Your model is much smarter because when I was starting Techstars, we were giving people $6,000. Can you believe That's that? right. That's I mean, right. I guess it was an investment, but we were like, hey, take this money. And you were actually charging them, which seems much smarter to me, Neil. 
hey, you know what? I just, I saw what you all were doing because back in 2008, 2007, a few years before I started Code Academy, one of my buddies, David Hoffman, Alex White, and, and Samir ended up leaving Chicago to go to Techstars in Boulder to go through your program. So I had a leg up when I got to watch you guys from afar. That's right. We we used to raid the Chicago startup scene pretty aggressively. Did. And then at some point, Troy said, stop that. We're going to we're going to do this too. And I was there for that too. Troy Hanakoff found a way to get things started with a few others with Accelerate Labs. And I was actually, believe it or not, the photographer for the very first demo day that we had. Yeah, I was. So I was like hustling because I was learning to code. I learned how to bartend. I was driving Safe Ride, which was like Uber for Northwestern University, which is my alma mater. And I needed some money. So I was like, Troy, like I'm involved in helping the startups a little bit, but let me flex my photography skills and use my Nikon D90 to get some shots at Demo Day. So I still have those pictures. It was great. I hope we, I hope we can dig those pictures up. I'm gonna I post, think you were there. We got to post that link as well. Yeah, I probably was there. Yeah. I remember those. I don't remember the photographer, I will admit, but I'm sure if I see the photos, they're amazing. There you go. So teaching is wrapped into all of this. Code Academy, the role of Techstars, a lot to do with teaching and helping entrepreneurs be successful. What is it that, that draws you to teaching and what other experiences do you have in that area? Sure. So one of the, the key lessons that I learned early on in life is the true test of one's knowledge is your ability to share it with someone else. I was taking econ. I'd never taken an econ class. And at Northwestern, if you were a good student in high school, you're like a mediocre student at this school. I started um, struggling. I almost flunked out of my first you know, round of classes at Northwestern because I just wasn't ready. But one way I learned to actually go from a D to an A was by leading private like sessions with study groups and like trying to teach the material to my fellow uh, students. So I started doing it there in econ. And once I realized that I was good, materializing information when I'm motivated to actually impart it upon others, that's where everything took off. So we ended up starting a student group at school called the Institute for Student Business Education, which is still around to this day. It's like, what, 12 or 13 or 14 years old. But we, I was teaching as from the jump because that was the only way I was able to actually override my imposter syndrome of struggling through content and processing it in my own head. So once I learned how to program and like actually build my own software, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Now nothing is impossible or off the table. I'll learn how to cook. I'll learn how to, you know, snowboard. I'll learn how to do anything that I fall in love with. And I'll I'll find a way to share with other people so that I make sure I understand it. And when you do teach and what examples or what stories do you have of how someone you taught something surprised you with what they did or gave back to the community in a way that was really powerful? Oh, big time. The person who I'm thinking of right now, I don't know if they're still out in the world or what they're even up to. Michael Verdi is one of my first students at Code Academy. And let me tell you, when these students come in, they're all bright eyed, bushy tailed and excited. And it was pretty clear, like, even though I was super hopeful and beginner focused, I was like, this guy's going to have a hard time. So he was struggling. He was not, he was behind the pack in the class. And I was questioning the the efficacy of my program because I was like, we'll bring on beginners, like we'll help. And like this person was like clearly struggling and he made it over the finish line, but definitely it was a journey. But it turns out like three, six months later, because he kept at it, he gave me a newfound understanding of what's possible with the beginner learner. Because you see people and a lot of developers will say some people can get it and some people can't. I've proven through this model that it's certainly possible for people who come from a very different place to change their trajectory and actually understand this stuff, but it might take them longer than other people. 
So it's a matter of patience and understanding when it comes to a lot of learners. And we end up convincing ourselves that we're not qualified, we're not capable, we're just not good at math. When people say things like that, I always question it now, far more than I ever did, because I've seen so many people override their perceived limits and achieve incredible heights. And I know you see this every day through Techstars, as do I, but I learned that as an instructor and as a teacher, and uh, that's a lesson I'll carry for the rest of my life. So so sticking with the whole teaching thing, I, I noticed a whole mayoral candidate run. People can go watch the <laughs> – there's a TV show, right? Yeah, there's a five-episode docuseries on National Geographic called City So Real that you can find on Hulu that covers that whole journey. Also called is, City So Real. Not, not, also called City yeah. So Real. Same as the song. What That's a right. coincidence. Yeah. Um, so people are going to go check that out. We'll put that in the show notes too. A great little docuseries, right? About that whole adventure you had. And that's a whole yes. story in and of itself. But while it you is. were doing that, you kept teaching. And I think you kept teaching in a university, but also in a public school. So talk to me about why you kept teaching during that time frame. Sure. Yeah. Running for mayor in Chicago, as a lot of people can imagine, is fairly cutthroat and pretty, pretty intense. And no, that was really? definitely one of the most, yeah. Can't be. <laughs> I know, I know, but I smiled through the whole experience. That's right. I'll say this. It was so important to me to stay connected to what was happening on the ground in the communities that mattered most. And on the South side of Chicago, there's a public school called Diet High School for the Arts, which was at risk and had actually been closed. A lot of school closings happen in Chicago, especially in impoverished communities. And that was a big deal. So it was pretty important to me to make sure that I was spending my time working with you know, teenagers who were struggling, who wanted to leave, who wanted to get out of the city because of the violence, because of the struggles financially, because of the lack of opportunity and resources to understand where they're coming from, but also find a way to give them hope and opportunity to stay. So that's what I was able to do. But at the same time, I balanced that with my involvement at both University of Chicago and Northwestern, two of our top universities, and understanding the gap between those university students and these public school students and where they could come together because we're not so different. So my give first kind of mentality with respect to those experiences and running for mayor at the same time really reminded me of what mattered. And it colored my perspective at every single debate, every single forum. Every single questionnaire I had to fill out, every news reporter I had to deal with, I always remembered what really mattered when I thought about those kids and those people in the classroom who are just trying to make Chicago a better place uh, in whatever way they can and make a space for themselves. So that's that's what I live and breathe, man. And I hope it inspires other people to do the same, because not only can you run for office, but you can also educate the youth while you do it. It's awesome. And I, it gets reflected back to me when I talk to the entrepreneurs that go through you know, your program in Chicago, Techstar Chicago. They say it's more than just something that you write on the wall, this give first thing. Your team really lives it. Neil really lives it. And they feel that. So uh, thanks for carrying that flag. And we're going to flip seats. What's your show all about, Neil? So my show is called Talking Through It. And it's my really clever and sneaky way of keeping up with current events in a way that keeps other folks up with it because as founders and as entrepreneurs and as investors and all the folks listening in, you've got a lot going on. So maybe you don't always have time to get a full perspective on current events and what's been going on. And I now have an excuse and opportunity to do so with some of the smartest and admirable people I can find. And David Cohen happens to be one of those people. So welcome to my side of things, David. I'd love to hear your thoughts on a few things. But the first thing I noticed is uh, you recently had a unicorn forum, as I'll call it. So you tweeted about DigitalOcean's upcoming IPO. 
You held a clubhouse event with 15 of our Techstars unicorns. That was a pretty like big moment for you. So let me know how you feel about all of this news and progress from all these companies that have gone through our program. Yeah, it's crazy because it's like rolling downhill in a good way now. I wrote a blog post probably six months ago about the first 11 Techstars unicorns in the portfolio. And, and now we're at like 16 or something. So like just in five and five new ones in four or five months. And then there's others that we can't talk about yet that we see coming. And it, it made me do the math and realize, gosh, there's probably like 30 more that just aren't mature enough yet that we've already funded because it takes time. But the feeling in that room was one of just teeing it up and sitting back and smiling because there were so many great entrepreneurs who I had witnessed at day one where it was just a dream, just a sparkle in their eye, just an idea. It wasn't clear that it was going to work. In fact, it was probably not going to work. And to see where those people had gone in their journeys over five, seven, eight, ten 10 years and let them talk about what they had learned, it felt like a almost a generational shift, right? There's a, a whole set of people now that can teach more Techstars people in the network and more entrepreneurs in the world about their own experiences. So it was really fun to see where they took it. I know. And you know what, David? I, I think you've probably been asked this a lot. But what did you see? Are there, are there a couple really outstanding or surprising examples? Or was there a pattern associated with some of these individuals that you were able to take in a bet on early on? But you, you always say that it was there was no way to really know. But you know what hints were there, if any? Yeah. When I think about all those companies and I think back to my first interactions with them, and look, there are others that didn't get to that scale that felt similar. One thing that's definitely in common with all of them is they're just deeply obsessed with their vision of the future, right? Their their solution. It's not that they're just passionate and they talk about their passion, but you can literally feel that they just have a joy in doing the thing they're doing. So I think back to Isaac Saldana of SunGrid, for example. He was just, anyone could call SunGrid and he would answer the phone and take a support call from anyone that had an email problem. I don't mean his customers, anyone that had an email problem. He would just answer their questions live on the phone. And it was a way for him to express his joy. And I'm like, hold on, you love SMTP and DKIM and all these protocols? He's like, yeah, I think it's just so interesting. And I can't wait to help people be successful with whatever we're trying to do with email. And just the way that he was giving around that and the way that he could not wait until the world was changed and had a better way to send transactional email that he could bring to the world. It's that obsession that you see in you know the ClassPass, the DigitalOcean, right, the Remitly, all these companies, that it's not they're not doing it because it's a great business. They're doing it because they have to do it. Like they're put here to do it, and I can feel that those people early on when it's deeper, and it also feels like a callback to this notion of get first too. The fact that he was taking on any and every question, even if it didn't lead to a sale, is it, that's a lesson in and of itself. And it was clear that he wasn't doing it for that reason. He, he viewed it as a way to share some of his knowledge and to be helpful. And sure, some people might be interested in his product because it solved some of those problems, but as a way for him to learn more about what he was trying to solve. And I think that's a common thing that I see is just that living in that world and, and truly loving it rather than doing it for the money or some other external reason. It's that internal motivation that th these great founders have. Oh, what a great handoff to my second topic, because you mentioned money and not being for the money, but I want to talk to you about money in a special kind. So cryptocurrency, NFTs and everything else. So it's it's been hot for a while, but every week it seems we're getting used to hearing news or opinions about Bit Bitcoin or crypto, but now there's another form of it, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So 
What's your sense of what's happening with this? What do you make of it? And what do you see as the next opportunity? Yeah. So in, in January of 2015, I wrote an article for TechCrunch. I think was titled something like, after the social web, here comes the trust web. Mm. Right? That, that we had this 10, 15, 20-year social web thing where we could share and learn about each other and meet each other and talk to each other. But the environment had no trust in it. And institutions were holding all the trust for us as people in the world. And my view of what was happening with blockchain, which was always in my view, the sort of thing that was interesting, not the cryptocurrency itself, was, was going to transform how trust worked online. And I see we see that playing out with NFT today because, again, it's blockchain transforming an industry where artists, musicians are going to be impacted in really positive ways because in the past... The thing is just something you could copy and it was something you could say you owned. And now there's this notion of you actually do own whatever the thing is. And we have an independent authority of trust, which is all of us. And so I, I think you're just seeing another wave of how trust on the internet is playing out through the blockchain. Yeah. So this notion of having an immutable ledger where it's objective that you have a thing and now it's gone from a physical thing, meaning here's my watermelon Waterloo. And I hand it to you, David, and you have it in real life versus the digital equivalent of that actual transaction taking place. So there's pretty there's a lot of power there. And I guess my follow-up question would be, have you seen anything interesting among startups when it comes to crypto or anything in the space? I love investing in the infrastructure. I mentioned Twilio and SendGrid and, and companies like that are infrastructure. They're picks and shovels for the people who are building the things. Yep. And I look, hey, we just had another unicorn pop out called Chainalysis, uh, for example, which is the equivalent of all the fraud companies that work on the financial markets of the past and the banks and things like that. And, and we figured, hey, you're going to need some way to detect fraud against the blockchain and to really prove that these transactions are real and to find the bad actors. And chain analysis has just taken off like crazy because of that. So I, I never liked the vertical applications. I always liked the infrastructure to support all of that. That sounds like a brilliant strategy. And it's a call back again to trust, like your article in 2015. So appreciate that. All right. So I got two more things for you. So one is I want to know who your dream dinner guest is, because I know you like to ask your podcast guests if they could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be? So I'm going to go ahead and steal that move from you and ask you who you'd want to have dinner with. I want to get together with all of the notable physicists, Niels Bohr, Einstein. If I could have a whole table, it would be yeah. it'd be these people, maybe Schrodinger. I'm obsessed with quantum mechanics and all the implications of it. And I think these people who figure these things out are just the most amazing people ever. Most of them are not around anymore, but a few. And, and if I could have dinner with anyone, it'd be a table like that. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And if anything, there's it's something that we're all, we all have an opportunity to learn a lot more about, even if the complexity might be intimidating. So from a beginner a mindset that I tend to share, like where's the best place to dive in first? I, I think there's good books. The biocentrism books are really interesting. There's lots of books about time and how time is a construct of the human mind. I think just reading about quantum mechanics, not the, not the literature that you would get in a school or in a university, but a, someone who's really deep in it trying to, to explain it to a layperson. It, it's just 
a fascinating world of the small and then how that contrasts with the world that we live in every day and what the philosophical implications of that are. Um, that's the thing I love that probably nobody knows I love. They know I love startups, but I'm, well, they I'm know really it now because we're on the podcast talking I mean, about it. <laughs> I'm just, if anybody ever wants to chat about it, I listen, that's where I go on the clubhouse. I don't go talk about startups. I go learn about quantum physics. Oh man. All right. I might follow you in there then. Uh, last but not least, and this might be hard for you in particular, this might be actually, you might be one of the toughest uh, customers here is uh, I like to ask our guests to highlight a startup they like or are paying attention to. So startup of the week. So who's your startup of the week for the Talking Through It podcast? Okay, so call me crazy, but I was listening to this podcast, Talking Through It, and I was listening to this guy named Jason talk about his email client, hey.com. Yeah. And because of that, I don't know if that's a startup because that's a company that's been around for 20 years, but it's a new thing by them. And I can't pick a tech stars company because I love all my children equally. So I'm going to pick... Hey.com, because I think it's a really interesting twist on how email works. And it's like a startup. So does that qualify? I think that qualifies. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and give the green light on that because uh, it's a great callback to one of my other guests. And I'd encourage people to check out my podcast episode with Jason because we talk about Hey.com and a lot of other interesting subjects. And he's certainly doing something really interesting and potentially disruptive with email. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, David. And we got through a bunch of important stuff. The crossover is amazing. Thanks for all you do in Chicago and in the world to help entrepreneurs. I know you got some secret projects we can't talk about that are coming soon as well yes. on the Techstars platform. You're doing a ton. It's noticed. We, we see the give first. So thanks for being you. All right. Let's keep rocking.